they're first and they're not first. So what my kids would say, like, what's your hobby? Me, I'm my hobby. I like to swear. I like to do inappropriate things. But when I'm a mother, like I do the things that I should be doing to be a good mother in my own mind. But you want to teach your children to be the center of their universe. And as a woman, we don't get that message. Whether you're looking to achieve financial freedom, boost your personal development, or enhance your business acumen, you are in the right place. My name is Simone Simaluka Radzins, and I am on a journey for true business freedom, and I want to have you along for the ride. Each week, we dive deep into the topics that empower you to live a more free and fulfilling life, and also give you the tools to do that in your business. You've done breath work before. I just, I'm like, was crying with gratitude. I just finished. That's what I'm like, don't, I was like, I can't wait to talk to you. I was like, I don't want to wait. <laughs> I just finished like the most amazing session ever. It's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, I'm just doing it. I do it every day, pranayama yeah. with that yep. group, but I haven't done, that's all I do. So 20 minutes every single morning for a year and a half or so, wow. but it's so, so powerful, but I haven't done, we might be doing different things. Like what I'm doing is it yeah. depends. I do 40, 40 day sessions of a pranayama practice. Yep. So it could that. be, I'm starting that one on Saturday. You are, I, I was called to it. I was like, I just, I, cause I've been, I've been seeing it. And I was like, then I read what she was doing. I was like, Oh yes, this is aligned right now. I think I'm ready. I'm so excited. And you know what? There's absolutely no pressure. People okay. show up or don't show up. Okay. People have been doing it longer than a couple of people have been doing it longer than me. But for me, it's, it's about showing up for me, showing up for me. Yes. And now my body is, gets up and is ready to do it. Even if I dance till 2am, I, I danced <laughs> last night, but not till 2am. My body's like, even if we don't have it because we're on a pause, mm-hmm. my body's awake to do it. Wow. So I think there's a lot of a lot for me in breath work and, and it, breath is your first medicine and I'm a yoga teacher and I should know that, but I forgot that. Mm. So this is really powerful. And I'm fairly sure the biggest movement I've got, I've got truth bumps all over. So it is the pranayama that has kicked sure. off my, my spiritual practice in a different kind of way. Oh, wow. When did you start your spiritual practice? Like, have you always had it? I have always had a practice. I had a little bit of a time that I broke up with God because I just realized that I had kind of hidden some things from myself. Mm. And I had a series, I had nightmares for a very long time as a young person and then realized, oh, that's true. And it was really heartbreaking. It wasn't until I was away from my family. I was in college and I started having these rep- repeating nightmares. And so before that, I had, I was thinking about this on my yoga mat this morning, just so many encounters with nature's beauty, yeah. but I was an only child. I, so a lot of my, my spiritual practice was alone. My spiritual practice was talking to the earth and the animals and the plants. And I grew up that way in the wild of Florida, like really wild we camped on the beach every single weekend. So I had such a deep relationship with the water and I would tie a rope to a heavy rock, put a book in a plastic bag and float in my tube forever. 
for, for, you couldn't get me out of the water. My mom would say, come on, you have to eat. And I would go eat and then go back out there. So I've always had a practice. And then that break I had was just, or I've always had an awareness. Mm. I've always had, I always knew I was part of something and you can't look at the ocean all the time and not feel so teeny. Yeah. And also, so I, and I would just look at the horizon sunset or sunrise and really pray for a, a life, you know, that was filled with meaning and connection and love. And I didn't quite feel that in my life, mm. but I imagined, and I imagined that I had it like kind of a Judeo Christian framework because I grew up in America. That wasn't, we weren't Christian. Um, and we weren't Jewish, but that's just kind of the culture in America. So I went to every single church in the town that I grew up and I would go in seeking God. Right. And sometimes I would cry. I was never really welcomed very much. I was black and I grew up in a predominantly like all white community. Mm. I was never really welcomed, but obviously I was a little seeker. Yeah. You know, how old were you at this time when you were oh. like let, I mean, I, I was, yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah, definitely. And I told myself that, that because of that Judeo-Christian framework and there were lots of Christians around and a Catholic church was two blocks from my house, but it felt creepy to me. I would go and it wasn't even just a church. It was like priests live there. It was kind of a yeah. establishment and I love the beauty, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel right. And I would go searching for God. And I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I felt it more in nature than I did mm -hmm. in those places. So I was really young. And then I had this break where I was like, God, we're not talking. Yeah. And I also had ancestors that were a presence in my imagination as a youth. For me, they're real. They are real though. But that, that means, I mean, I guess that like, you've always been very intuitive. Then. They, and they guided me. I mean, I remember junior high going into a new school mm -hmm. and seeing, um, you know, a group of kids this way and a group of kids this way. And one was so funny because kind of drugs and partying. I was like, ooh, I grew up, I grew up on a commune. My parents partied like crazy, but I didn't do that because I thought my parents, the parents, you know, they, they don't want to do that. And they were, you know, I didn't like drunk party people. Mm -hmm. So I heard, I said to my, like, what do I do? And my guide said, do that. And what I did was, you know, I was this white little black kid at a very white school that had kind of a redneck rebel flag gun, gun rack trucks, like kind of a strange yeah. community in Florida, two traffic lights, but I had to get bused 35 minutes to go to the school in the next town. So when I went this direction that I felt like my guides directed me, it was to student government and leadership and just really getting involved because my home wasn't awesome. It just wasn't. And so I needed to find a place where I could um, control my environment a little bit better. And yeah. so that is a strategy, right? And so I ran stuff because I needed to. Mm -hmm. And what is so impressive about that is like you knew at a very young age, like you're still aligned with that very much so. It's different now. That okay. that motivation was really like safety oriented. And I'm super okay. clear about that. Um, and I needed affirmation. I needed to get, you know, I needed the affirmation of winning a student election or doing a thing. And I felt, I did feel empowered. I liked playing soccer. I liked, so I spent my whole day at school. I didn't get home until like dinner time. And then I was, I moved next door to my family when I was four, 13. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So I, my parents lived in a duplex. My mom remarried and I live next door. Okay. And I just kind of did my own life yeah. at about 14. And it's so crazy because right now I'm really sitting into, um, I'm immature and emotionally, and I'm learning about that, but I'm a super, I'm like achiever. Yeah. I, but I'm, I'm immature emotionally. And I'm like, Oh, cause I'm probably about 14. That's mm. when I really took on, I better make all these choices if I want a good life. Mm. And so I did. And so just now I'm thinking, wow, I'm so grateful for all those parts that aren't just survivally oriented there. Whatever environment I'm in, I want to be in leadership. I want to be some kind of control because that there's more safety. Right. right exactly. And I mean, you're trying to protect yourself. It's like human nature. It's the first thing is like, let me figure out how to protect myself. And what's interesting when I'm learning is that as we're developing in our mind, like our subconscious is developed by seven that we're so good at all of a sudden protecting ourselves in things and writing these unwritten rules for ourselves or the society, what, you know, but a lot for ourselves that it's not until like adulthood or you come to a point where you're actually aware that you can start really seeing like what you said or like, wow, that's actually, where did that come from? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, though that Judea Frank, Christian framework I was speaking to, it's because the hero's journey of everything I was reading, because I was a crazy reader, mm. and then you overlay kind of a framework for some kind of living. I, you know, put myself in that and created lots of rules for myself, not just to be safe, but to thrive as best as I knew. Yeah. But where, the, what there wasn't was freedom, you know, you know, not much was expected of me. I was the town I grew up in, like, the expectation was, well, maybe you could be a postal worker and no offense to postal workers, but there were no, I didn't know what college was. You know, my family said, well, you're probably not smart enough to go to college. Your test scores were not good. And I was like, well, I don't know what college is, but my friends are going and I think you get out of this town. So I think I'm going to go. Right. And I had full rides. And so I'm so grateful for that kind of drive, that's that drive that my will my will, my is, I'm a miracle. Like my I kinesthetic brilliance of my my whole being, but that integration between your heart and your mind and your spirit, and where can you really be free? You know, I was never free, I, even if I was bound my by my own expectations of what I should do, which mm -hmm. you know, I was I, not bound, but I set myself up so that I could be a person I would be proud to be. Yeah, and I had. Um, you know, Martin Luther King. And I had these heroes in my mind because I grew up on a commune. So I grew up outside of kind of standard American culture. I didn't see television until I was older. You know, just my mom was one of the hippies with the the um, autobiography of a yogi book in the 60s. And so with a, with a multiracial group of people who were trying to help kids grow up in a different way. Mm. So it was an interesting place to be a youth because I wasn't, I wasn't, I was, I, did, I went to regular school. So that was before I, I was, until I was five. And then I went to kindergarten. Okay. So that, so a lot of your priming was through that. I mean, a lot of interesting cultural experiences that other people do not have in common. And when I meet someone who grew up on a commune, I'm like, oh, but it wasn't a commune, like a spiritual commune. It didn't, we didn't have a guru or something like that. It was a, 
alternative to youth incarceration commune where a psychologist had the contract and there were kids there that had been in boarding, indigenous kids that had been in boarding school, rich New York City kids that this was their last shot. I mean, just a wide range of kids and people and young adults who want to believed in all the promises of the 60s. So it's again, just now I'm realizing, you know, my young 19 year old mom, she was 19 when she had me. Right. I can't imagine being 19 and having a kid. Like that. No. <laughs> no. And then ha- be a white girl at Northwestern and drop out to have a black man's baby. Yeah. Not yeah. so hot with her family. She, you know, paid a lot of costs and didn't know a lot and didn't have her family support. So it was hard. Super yeah. hard. So I'm just now realizing from other things, wow, she was a free woman. I come from free woman. Mm-hmm. And as a black woman, I have critique around she could have raised me around black people. There are things that she should have done that she just couldn't know. Cause in her mind, the difference between black and white is a color of your skin. Like she heard mm. and that it's not. And so she, she couldn't give me the wealth and the beauty and the roots of blackness. She didn't have them. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, economically had to live where she could afford to live, which was a duplex in Florida near a golf course that her, her father owned. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but the beach. So I have, I'm so grateful for yoga because it is the, it is the thing for me and yoga, you know, not the asana on the map, but the whole eight branches of, you know, how we connect again. Yeah. How we connect to the divine and breath is. Breath is one. I mean, it's so interesting. I'm like, oh gosh, I feel like I want to go on all these angles. I'm curious really quick about though, about the breath work, active breathing. Is it like, is that what you do? Because that's what I was doing. And it is like, I felt energy in my body that I'd never felt before. Yeah. So it depends what you're doing. That's almost like a, seems like a modified breath of fire. Like we do. Okay. Mm. And you do that and it's really energizing. It could also make you hyperventilate. Like you need to check in. Yeah. But the one I, we were probably a year in before we did this one that is a very back, lots of in and out quick breathing like fellow's breath but quick um but she told us this was a very powerful practice she didn't tell us this was a um, trauma acceleration process practice which it is which i was drawn towards it because we all have trauma like that's the thing and our traumas are all different obviously because we're different our human experiences are different our races are different, our genders, you name it, right? Before, so you got into it. Don't you wonder, like, what is the divine timing of that for you? Like, just like I'm like, why did I feel like, okay, I'm ready to sign up tomorrow? Do you see that? I mean, like, that, so so divine timing for me, it's these, you know, I've had a brain injury and neck surgery, and I had to manage pain mm. for me. So I took, I, I was certified as a yoga teacher with this BIPOC yoga cooperative. That is an Indian woman who teaches at her people's practices, thousands of years old. She grew up doing it, but what she did is kind of de-patriarch yoga because even, you know, it's thousands of years old, guys kind of were the heads of getting it going. So that practice really helped me prior to surgery Mm. and just to know my own body. I, again, was kind of oblivious to breath. The breath came from 
my husband is a budding bhakti practitioner and got through his email through Wisdom of the Sages, which is this podcast that we listen to that's a daily bhakti podcast. And he got the breathwork email through Wisdom of the Sages. And I had said, so divine timing, I had said to him two days before, I really need to work on my breath. I also participated in something called Black People Breathe. That was an offering in Denver to provide um, out-of-the-box services and health support for Black folks in Denver. And someone said, actually a young person who I know, who I, is an elder in non-linear time, says, breath is our first medicine, the thing I said to you. And I, again, got truth bumps over my whole body and I was like, whoa. So I asked for breath, this came, this came. So obviously I have to say yes, because thank you. Yes. So the timing was that I asked for it. Well, I feel like in our other conversations that we had about money and just about your other, like your life, it seems that you've tuned into something where you kind of ask for it and you trust it and it happens for you. And that to me is just like so beautiful. And I'm curious, like, I wanted to talk to you about your motherhood journey because one of our first conversations, like you just said, you, you said, I forget exactly what it was, but I could tell that motherhood was such obviously a beautiful thing, but powerful thing for you and your nurturing spirit. I don't know if it was like mama bear or something. And I was like, wow. And you are such a leader and such a pioneer in what you do entrepreneurially and for social justice and spiritually, like that we talked about how, I guess, like, how did your motherhood journey start and how did it all kind of, how is that, that does that all coalesce with that beginning? Yes. So my mother was a mother at 19 and lost her family, like very difficult mothering journey. And so I didn't have babies till I was 30. Mm-hmm. And I was with my children's dad six years before we had babies. Like I really wanted to set up what I thought would be a supportive community. And he comes from the projects, New York City, breakdancing, Puerto Rican DJ, like not exactly a, a like conventional structure. But what I saw in his family and what I still experience is crazy love, love that I had never known or seen and really out love, not kind of modulated white guy love, but big Puerto Rican magnanimous love, which is what I wanted. And racially for the first time in New York City, black and Puerto Rican is often the same thing. So we experienced race like we would we read by the autobiography of Malcolm X together. We went and saw the movie. And I, for the first time, experienced my racial identity like someone else. Oh, wow. So that was really important to be in New York City when I come from a town with two traffic lights in Florida. And I move after college, right straight out of college to New York City to do social work because I thought, if I want to do this, I want to do it the very most challenging place you could possibly do it because I want to know if I can do it. Wow. And so um, this man just made me laugh my head off. He's totally cuckoo. And so confident and so things I wasn't things I wanted but I really didn't have so we had a I we left New York I actually was trying to get away from him and move to Colorado because I had a dad and a brother out here that I didn't know very well who were black and I wanted to know who I was and I didn't really come from that so New York City helped me a lot I like my people and yet I still didn't even know the family I came from and I was an HIV counselor in Tester in East Harlem in the South Bronx And I was losing people that looked exactly like me and I didn't know my story. So 
he, like I said, I waited a really long time. I'm a thoughtful person and the marriage didn't work out, but my kids would say, mom, are you kidding me? You were married almost 20 years. How could you say that didn't work out? Mm-hmm. Which I just love that my kids have that perspective. Cause that means I, we did in that marriage. Well, you know, we're, yeah. we're in each other's lives. We're friendly, but motherhood was terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. I had a secret fear that I would abandon my kids. And now I understand why. And it's why it took me so long, why I wanted to be so solid before I did it. And you can't control, you can't control things. So I lost that solidity. And I was a single mom with three kids. And I had also lost my mother. She was 56. I'm 55 Mm -hmm. now. um, When my last baby was born Mm. and she was here helping me have him, she saved his life. Oh, wow. And nine days later, she died in Hurricane Charlie in Florida. I was with her in the morning in Colorado. She and said to me, I, she's, you know, said, I love you. Goodbye. And I said, I just can't thank you enough. She died that afternoon. Wow. And I was walking down the street with a baby on my front and a baby in the stroller, a double stroller, two littles and a baby thinking, oh my God, who thought this was okay? And almost fell over and a neighbor came out and said, are you okay? And I said, no. And I didn't know what happened, but I physically felt my mother's death. And it wasn't for two hours that I heard that it happened, Mm. but I felt, and I said, I'm not okay. I don't know why I'm not okay, but I'm not okay. So I have a very deep connection to my mother, very deep connection. And I really felt, to be honest, terribly abandoned right? She saved my child. Like I do know this. My mm. son is 18 yeah. and thriving, yeah. but I, I lost her and I really lost her family at the same time. My birth was difficult for my family and they're, you know, kind and loving people, but there was an aspect of kind of shame that was part of my mom's reuniting with her family that I always felt mm. that was racially connected, but I didn't understand what it was. And maybe it's not racial. Maybe it's just that they're Presbyterian and they're waspy, but the way that they love feels like, and I don't want to be insulting to my people, but Mm -hmm. the way that they love feels like it's just on the surface of my body where I love like with my whole, I feel, I feel Yeah. growing up, I would bang the table and like, this isn't right. And my family's like, we are very displeased with your actions and ignore me. I'm yeah. like, where? And I think I was four. I said to my mom, "Where are the real people?" Wow. Like, mean? Uh, wow. But I know what I meant. I meant like, where are the people that feel? And I was look when I was looking at that horizon. That's what I wanted—a life where you every cell is engaged. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So now when I'm on my knees weeping. I'm like, is this what I was asking for? But it is. And so motherhood for me. It's everything. I was always a mother. I mothered my mother. She was a teenager. Yeah. When I fi- when I had kids, my best friend said, "Oh my God, thank God you've been mothering us forever." Oh, my God. business partner, you know, I'm a mother. That's what mm-hmm. I am. That's who I am for myself, for others, mm-hmm. for the planet. That's who I am. So for me, I just love myself more. I, yeah. It forces me to be caring and compassionate and to parent myself. I'm still parenting myself. Cause that's, that's, I think the biggest question is like, cause you're 30, which you, you're more, you know, cause I had my daughter at 36. So like, and I'm like, wow, how could I have done it any earlier? Because I still find it emotionally us uh, just like, it's, 
nothing you can ever explain. Like it's just a whole new world. And I feel like the older you are, the better equipped perhaps that you are, but also it goes to, I guess, how emotionally intelligent you are. And not just emotionally intelligent, wherever your cracks are, you know, that's where the light gets in. That's where your children will stick you. And why do you think that is? Like, is that a lesson? Is that just now you being aware of, like, why is that? I mean, we're, we're so privileged. I've got the truth from all over. We're so, I mean, I'm not worrying about food. Mm -hmm. I'm not worrying about my physical state. Even when I was a single mom with three kids where I was very worried about all of that introspection, I wasn't going to be able to get through it. I had to talk myself through, okay, you're going to be alone for two hours. You're going to drop someone off at school and then you'll be at the park and you can have witnesses because I was so devastated by grief. You know, so I think we get the opportunity to heal the things that we need to heal. And maybe our mothers did, but mine had such a short life, Yeah, you know, and I had her 10 years on kind of 10 years off, Mm -hmm. 10 years on when I had babies, she really showed up for me, which is why I have so many babies. Probably we really felt good and confident about being a mother. I think she was just scared when she was a teenager. She was just scared. And I was terrified, so I could understand the fear. But losing my mother actually really provided me with, I was so devastated. And I had a miraculous poetry class come into my life. I'd pray, I said, I need to write, I need to write. Went to my kid's school that day. Someone said, I said, I need to write to another single mom. And she said, oh, this woman's teaching a poetry class you might be interested in. Her organization's called Art from Ashes. Her name's Catherine. When I went home after dropping my kids off for school, Catherine O'Neill Thorne's card was on my, my, my husband, my former husband, his dresser was still at my house and I picked it up and I, I thought, what? And I called her and I said, your card just came to me by divine persuasion. I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to call you. And she said, interesting. I have been teaching poetry classes for at-risk youth for five years, but I start the first women's group next week. Would you like to join? So I took that class for five years with my babies and it was a stream of a stream of consciousness class. I couldn't take it continuously. I took it when I could, Mm. but what happened is in writing stream of consciousness and no thought I would write this just such sorrow because I was grieving everything and I would read what I wrote. And for the first time I thought, wow, she's, she needs a friend. I want to be her friend. And it was me, but I was separated from my grief. I couldn't embody. It's what we're, why we avoid these, these deep feelings because we don't think we can handle them. Well, it's also interesting because is that a protection mechanism? Because you also have to show up for three humans, right? And so I guess it, 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 yes, but we would do it even without that because I mean, I was terrified of feeling all of that sorrow. I still probably haven't felt every bit of the sorrow because you think you can't survive it. Yeah. Well, I don't think you even allow yourself. I mean, what I've heard is that like your subconscious is going to protect you. And when you can start feeling that and you're actually ready, it's going to come out in bits and bits. And I think that when we're aware, like, I think that since you said it, you're aware of it. Like, I know, I know that there is stuff down there. I don't know really what it is. And I'm letting, as I do my work, I let it come up as it comes. Cause I know it's there, 
but you're absolutely right. It's like, I think the first thing is like, oh, let me stuff it down and let me not feel it. That, and that's just physiological. That's just fight, flight, survive, freeze, yeah. fall in business. Like we have no real control over that. And I wasn't aware of it at the time. I just read what this sweet girl wrote. Yeah. yeah. And I just was moved by her. And I thought she needs a friend and I'm a good friend. And so I was like a little schismed. I just wasn't really united and integrated. And I think to your point, the most important thing is like, yes, there's stuff down there, but it it's, you've already survived it. It won't break us. Exactly. It, but, but we don't know it won't break you until you have a little bit of space in between that. So yeah. this establishing a relationship and, being kind to this aspect of me and bringing her in and over time it turning into, okay, sweet girl, I see you trying, you know, you're not getting there. You're not doing it right, but I see your sincere trying and just offering myself some compassion. And that came from Tara Brock. So I also started, you know, lightly meditating when I was reading what I, when I was writing what I was writing in poetry class, I was also listening to the invitation by Oriah mountain dreamer. Okay. Do you know that? No, I'm like, oh, uh, look that up today. Yes. Okay. Okay. I will today. Look that up today. When I met my husband, I gave, I read it to him and I said, this is who I am. So if you're interested, this is who I am and to that intensity and to that feeling. And so like, there's a line in it and I listened to it on tape because I, on CD at the time, I had three babies I was trying to take care of. And there's a line in it. It is incredible. And the gist of it is. Just would you walk with me through the fire? That's, can you be there even when it's not beautiful? I don't care what your sign is or what your planets contradict. I want to know, can you sit with yourself? Can you be faithful, faithless to be true to yourself? I mean, like it is a powerful poem. And the one, the one line that just really knocked me to my knees is, can you get up after a night of weeping to, to get, can you get up and do what needs to be done for the children? Oh, wow. And I could get up and do what needed to be done for the children, even though I wasn't sure. And it was a long time before I could get to a place where I don't need to get up and do what I need to do for the children. I actually have to do what I have to do for me. And you don't get to do that when you've got three little people and you're single and you're trying to, just get through and show up for them. And I'm an early childhood person. So I was a preschool teacher at that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a really good mom. And what, I, but what I couldn't bring my children was a completely solid me. Because what, I, what do you mean by that? I mean, the depth of my grief was just so mm -hmm. deep. And mm -hmm. so as, as much as I know about attachment and nursing my little, my newborn little baby, he's nursing the milk of a mother who's spiritually completely on her knees, mm. not even knowing if I can do this, right? And I said to my seven, my daughter who was seven, not my highest parenting moment, but I said, you know, you think we're gonna be okay? This was like the day after my mom died. Mm. And my seven-year-old says to me, mama, death is but the next great adventure. <laughs> That's my kid. Wow. So my kids are also these portals of such incredible knowledge. They come to me before they're born. I see their faces. I know their names. They tell me their names. They, tell the, they did in dreams or how did they come? Like, 
Wow. That's Raven. Cool. She's 26 now. She's, Hi, mommy. I'm here. My name is Raven. Space between her teeth. Skin a little lighter than mine. Hair a little less curly. Did her. you see when you saw her, was she her like younger self or was she like an adult or like what? Do you, she you must out? have been, I mean, maybe four. Hi, mommy. I'm here. My name is Raven. Oh my God, that is the best. Wow. And Raven is the, in, in Inuit culture and, and other indigenous cultures, the Raven is the being that goes from the beyond that can bring messages back. <laughs> so I feel like because of all of that, you have this unwavering faith within you, even though you, because you have to grieve. I think that's the, also the interesting part is like, you have to grieve. You also understand that there's so much more than you and that you have this faith. Cause like that faith has taken you everywhere into that same point. Well, and my faith was, you know, the faith is renewed now in a way that's mm -hmm. because that's going back to the needing to manage pain with yoga and practices and breath work and meditation. My meditation practice started when I had my brain injury eight years ago. So having to do these practices, the technology of the tools started working for me. Mm. And because the technology, because they are technology, it's a science of the divine started working for me and my my spouse was listening to the philosophy we had very different practices i had a rather buddhist meditation practice daily meditation which helped my brain and yoga intermittently and then i brought in this breath work and now i also chant so i'm very high maintenance right now because mm -hmm. i for a great day yeah i have to chant listen do yoga meditate and pranayama. Wow. Right. And so that, when I was on food stamps and Medicaid, that wasn't going to happen. So my greatest regret is that my children always knew I had spiritual practices. They've been saging and chanting and offering to trees their entire lives. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have a framework, a methodology for my practice. It was daily, but yeah. not a framework of methodology. So with these tools of yoga that some are bhakti and some aren't, the technology started working and it got me interested in the philosophy behind them because I'm kind of science minded and also metaphysical clearly, because it's all science. It's all energy. It's all what you're tapped into. It's all vibration. Yeah. So I'm starting to get better and know what is working for me. And in the very intense breath work that I told you was kind of an uh, acceleration for trauma mm -hmm. for the first time for me, I had some control over the way my trauma was coming because I technically have, CPTSD. It's mm, mm. a pretty, that's a tough one. That's a tough complex PTSD is a tough thing to move through. And mm -hmm. a brain injury re reiterated it for me. So I had PTSD, but then I had this brain injury that shifted the way my mind worked. Mm. And I have to just kind of roll with it. I had to learn, relearn how to read. I had to relearn how to drive, relearn how to read people's faces, like difficult. And Courtney, yeah. my business partner, we started a business three months after my brain injury. I didn't know it was three months after. But she didn't yeah. know me before. I had the injury in April, August, we started the company. So not very far. Not very far at all. Right. But she didn't know me before. So she didn't weigh me down with any expectations of who I was. Mm. Very helpful. Did so. Did Because I feel like you know yourself so well. Did know. And this is actually a question about identity. 
because I feel like identity is a big thing to unpack when you're holding all of these different spaces. How did your identity shift? Because I know my, like, I mean, like, you're probably gonna be like, oh, it did, but like, could you give it? I mean, well, also it's not real. Like we, a constant death of our old identities is actually, you won't, you won't progress spiritually if you're not changing and old parts of us die. So our identity is apt in my, it's completely pretend. It's a structure of our ego that we need. Mm -hmm. And I know Mm -hmm. I'm a black woman in America. I know the experiences that I have. And I also know I'm an ageless spirit soul. I'm not my body. I'm not my mind. And that I've obviously been on a pretty powerful path because I got this package, which is really a great one this time, but it isn't. And I, it's not my last. Mm -hmm. And what I'm supposed to understand here is I'm supposed to reconnect with the divine and my particular path had all the, has had all these challenges and and I have identity around being an overcomer or survivor or thriver or daughter or whatever, but it isn't real. So I'm work, I'm not working. I'm, you know, remembering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm remembering who I knew I was when I was little and the dolphins would swim with me, who I knew I was when I could touch wild deer, who I knew I was. And I'm not those things. I'm so much bigger. And I'm I'm really, I'm not sitting in the absolute knowing of this. I'm in it. I'm learning it. But I, I'm seeing for the first time, like, holy moly, every single thing makes sense. Mm-hmm. Every time my identity needed to die because that package couldn't hold the largesse of who I really am. They can't. Yes. No, I'm like, this is, I completely agree with you. And I, I know that I see that in a different way than you see that. And I'm like, how, when you think about your motherhood identity, did you hold on to that one? Like, I mean, cause that one has changed. Your kids are now not kids. Any, I mean, they're your kids, of course, but you know, Raven's 27. So how did that motherhood identity also like just like shift and move with you? Because it's a transformation. And I think it's totally, totally. And we've gone like so macro. So coming back down to just being a woman moving into motherhood was gigantic. I thought I was low maintenance. (laughs) I feel like you are low maintenance. Oh my gosh. I thought (laughs) I didn't know going to the bathroom by oneself was a privilege. I didn't (laughs) I didn't know. I thought I, I thought I was low maintenance, but not really. I have these, I had, you know, things that held up my identity that all fall away when you become a mother. And if you can't find new ways to love yourself, you're going to be screwed because mm. you may never shape your eyebrows again. You may never eat what you feel like. It's a long time of setting yourself aside. And if you never got to center on yourself or be whole, that could feel like so much loss. I had a master's degree and had traveled you know, internationally before I had children. So I didn't, I wasn't, I had a, I had adventures. I wasn't, I didn't have a sense of, I'd lived in London and traveled around with rate, you know, raves sprouting out around North America. I moved to New York city. I moved to Colorado and snowboarded for 30 years. And, you know, like you change. And I came here because I wanted to know physically what I could do. Mm -hmm. And motherhood is, I didn't know, but it's like in all ways, what can I do? How can I give everything that I wished I'd had and the gifts that my mother gave me? And I just, 
I don't know. I wish I knew more. What I say to mothers now is yeah. just be there. Just really be there. Like really present, not in your imagination, not on your phone, not on your list, not on your perfection, things that you think are going to provide you some kind of safety and security if your house is clean. Nope, just be. And and it re and feel the rawness of it and the insecurity of it and find some of the people to talk to because that is temporary, but it gives, how can you mother you too? Well, because that's what it seems like is like, what I've loved about the two year journey of motherhood is that I've really gone deep into myself and I feel like I'm, cause I'm learning how to heal myself things that I didn't even realize. Also witnessing this like beautiful person that I feel like is so much wiser than I am. I'm like, Oh, who are you? And just knowing, I think also like the whole subconscious trauma and all that of like, I want to give her like the best life that I possibly can, but I also am human and then recognizing. And so this was my big identity shift was like, oh, I always had identified as like an entrepreneur. And then when I was a mom, I was like, well, oh my God, that has changed. And it took me time to realize, wow, this is like the biggest blessing ever because I can actually design something in a more meaningful way because I had always wanted to be a mom. I just didn't understand that I had to shift things. Not that anything went away, but that it just was different priorities. And the present is really interesting. And I'm curious because I noticed myself stepping out of being present when I'm with my daughter and then I step back into it. Do you find, or do you find, I guess, like, what do you think really is like, if somebody is feeling the stress of motherhood, because that's, I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I created this podcast is like, I really want to unpack it because like, there's the invisible workforce. There's, you know, maybe financial stress. There's just you not taking care of yourself. It's hard for them to be present. So how, like, what does somebody do? I mean, some of the things that have been most helpful for me is to remember that your way that you are with your kids is the way that they will be with themselves. The things you say in your head your kids are going to have to come up with their own, own imaginary things unless you can provide them solid presence, mm -hmm. acknowledgement when you make mistakes. For me, finding out that I could put myself in timeout, I don't know when that happened. I didn't get that right away. But when I understood it, huge growth where I could say to my kids, I, I need to go and be and I got to take some time. I am not appropriate right now for interaction. Yeah. And I didn't know that, that I could go and close a door and be alone and, and tell then over time, tell them you have the right to keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. You need to tune in to what, do you feel that? Do you feel that? As mm -hmm. I feel that you need to tune in. And even from mama, because there are, you're going to feel, and you need to go and take, you have the right to keep yourself safe emotionally, physically, everything. And then sometimes you have to signal for them because they're kids and I, I'm funny. So I would be like, beep, 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 back away from the mama, back away from the mama. And, um, you know, once it's not my proudest parent moment again, single mom, three kids, I turned around and growled at them. <laughs> you know, I was just, I had already been like, God help me. Yeah. We knew when I started praying, things were getting up there, but they didn't, they're kids. So they don't quite get the signals. When yeah. they heard me growl, they <laughs> took each other's hands and turned around and walked away. That's where I was coming from. And then yeah. you know, being honest, 
don't burden them with this bull that's so different from their perception. Because yeah. Teach them not to trust themselves. So when you feel like growling or beeping or telling them, you need to take, we need to take some space right now. Do you feel that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's step away for a moment because they need, and I could say now or not now, but when they were little, I need to beat your little butts and I would want to grab them. And I felt like that. Yeah. And they would say, you don't believe in spanking. And I would say, people change. And then I could pretend spank their butts. So it was like coming closer to, I really did want to beat their butts, but I know yeah. you can't do that. So how can we acknowledge the truth of the moment and yeah. also bring some humor to it? I'm, I'm a social worker. I was trained in some of the stuff, but yeah. it was really just at my rawest moments pulling for some kind of help me out here. Yeah. Yes. Trusting that what I was going to bring was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. they need us actually who we are. With one, I would bring as much perfection in what my concepts were of motherhood. Mm -hmm. Two, I could still do as much as I could. Three, I was forget it. All I could do is surrender to it and yeah. try to survive it yeah. and try to find beauty and joy in it. For me, I wish I had less. I wish I was in it a little bit more. And I was there. I was a hands-on yeah. mom. I worked part-time since they were born, but um, I was there. But there were times I didn't bring all of who I was because I was scared. I was just scared I wasn't doing a good job. And mm -hmm. you know. well, how did you learn? So two questions. This is like, how did you develop your parenting philosophy? Is it I, like that? I read everything. Okay. I, I grew up without... You know, I grew up in a commune where people were obviously doing it differently. Mm -hmm. um, my mom was a very, it's interesting because she's not a Native American person, but her parenting is very much like, her parenting was very much like, fig you figure it out. I'm not going to tell you what to believe or she had very mm -hmm. high expectations around some things and very high. And other things, you really just figured it out. So I waited till I was 30. I was a maternal and child health policy person. I was an early, like I did study yeah. to try to do, I wanted to do a good job at it. Yeah. And I always knew I'd be a mother of one, but now I'm a mother of five. So I had three. Yeah. And then I have two bonus kids. Oh, so awesome. It, that is surrender. If you, that is. and our kids were four to 16 when we met, we've been together 14 years. Oh, wow. Four to 16 is such such like different things that are going on in life, different. Wow. So my parenting philosophy has changed a lot and I've, you know, read the developmental stuff, but what we're finding right now in the research around like some, some somatic embodiment, the didactic models of parent of child development theory and talk therapy and the way we think we've healed have just been like right here. Mm. And then we have yoga and some other physiological modalities. But if we've been traumatized with our entire selves, our entire beings in non-temporal time, mm -hmm. we're going to have to heal with our entire beings in non-temporal time. So embodied somatic healing is kind of what I've been learning and experiencing. And it's so much more than we knew. Mm -hmm. When I, when you study and it's still, people are studying those old models, but the work of like Besser van der Waal, and Peter Levine and Gabor Mate, the trauma kind of specialists right now. Mm -hmm. And then there's folks like who I'm studying with, Alinda Thai, mm -hmm. who's an Australian Thai woman um, who brings in, you know, refugee trauma and all BIPOC trauma, all kinds of 
trauma around being a person who lives in this culture. So I think I've been a seeker looking for healing. I thought I was in pretty good shape before I became a mom. I, you know, I did. And then I realized, oh my God, I know nothing. And then I lost every structure that I had, I lost. So for me, it's been a constant letting go and just staying very focused on doing my very best job for these kids and knowing that I too needed care. Mm-hmm. And as their care has you know, decreased my, what I need is increased. And I had a brain injury, spinal mm-hmm. surgery. I have had things that have really forced me to turn myself towards me. And I had to do that while they were still in my home. Yeah. But in about two months ago, because of all these healing tools and blessings of my life, I was able to say thank you to the pain. That changes everything. Exactly. Cause it's like, and I'm, I'm so curious of like everyone who's listening, but like you can say thank you and you can say thank you. And that being able to feel that gratitude. Wow. That's like, well, and I couldn't have done that until my, my, my relationship with the divine was shifting. Right. So through the practices, through the addition of all those modalities, the the chanting and the praying and what I do, Mm -hmm. I did not realize, and I got this through learning more about Bhakti and the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam, the the Bhakti philosophy that God's been chasing you through lifetimes, hoping that you would turn towards him. Mm. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I tried to read the Bhagavad Gita when I was in college. I didn't read that part. Yeah. And my son, my final son, yeah. where I lost my, his middle name is Arjuna. And what I don't, what, I don't Arjuna is the key character in the Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita means song of God. Oh, and okay. Krishna is singing, is, is, is telling Arjuna, I know you don't want to do all these things. Uh, Krishna's God, mm-hmm. but you have to, you're a warrior. This is your work. I'm going to help you with some tools to live. Those tools are yoga. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what, I mean, how explain these things to me and I'm not even telling you the journey of my 18 year old who caused surrender for me, who I didn't, as strong as I am, I didn't know if I could get through that. And I kept saying, what is surrender? What is surrender? I want to do it. But in my mind, it was uh, the word surrender written across the sky when from wizard of Oz the witch oh, surrender. Oh, that is not so it wasn't a positive thing at all. Never. Yeah. But because of the somatic teaching yoga, the, the somatic things rising up in me, I, I, I understood in a day that things were going very poorly. What could help me feel better? Sunshine on my face, sunshine on my face. And for me, that's what love feels like. Mm-hmm. For me, that's what, if, if God's love, if I understood God's love coming to me, which I have always, I did not understand that God wanted my love back. No. And in bhakti, in spirituality, Krishna is asking for your love. And the way that you show love is chanting the name, doing these practices so you can remember who you are. So mm-hmm. very, very simply said, and I am just learning but I take the sage class. I teach a, I take a class with my husband through wisdom of the sages mm-hmm. a couple of times now because I'm, my soul is deeply curious and there are things that I find not right in bhakti because it's, you know, patriarchal, like everything. Mm-hmm. And you have to de-patriarch it to make it work for a woman. Yeah. Women, I don't think are able to initiate folks. Like there's some stuff to the structure of any practice, but 
as opposed to a religion, it's a science of spirituality. Exactly. And the tools for me, I see objective results. And the objective results are this, there's some, there's magical brilliance to this. There always has been. And my mother gave me yoga. Well, that's like totally tying it back. Yes, she and did. And I gave my children yoga. And wow. so for I just am so clearly held in divine hands. And we all are all the time, but we have to find our way back. And I'm not saying I remember all the time, but that has been my prayer. And my truth bumps are wicked right now. My prayer has been for years. I just want to feel connected to God all of the time. Mm -hmm. not just the times that I have a moment on my mat or I have yeah. and learning that feeling that somatic sun on my skin, sunshine on my face. That's love. I can project that out. And in Bhakti, it's not, you're not loving God like as a singular, that's all the, all the deities and all the things that are possible to show your devotion. Like you love your children. So Krishna mm -hmm. came wanted to be a baby, wanted to be a lover, wanted to be a best friend. So that God could experience all these different ways of loving as a human. And so there's so many variations. It's so not a Judeo-Christian box. It's why I've always lit candles, why I've always, I've always been trying to show my devotion to the ancestors and to the divine, but that daily of doing it, that's how I stay always connected yeah in tune and connected and then there's going to be a time where i don't i'm still going to practice because i think i'm compelled at this point i think i'm mm -hmm. addicted in a way that's so good do you think that you're like compelled or like i feel like addicted always sounds so bad but like so i'm compulsed right or just like it's part of you because you're seeing all these different layers of reality, right? And of love. Is it what, like, what is it? Because it's hard to almost define, like this moment that I had on breathwork, I fully understood something Yes, that had taken me five, six years to understand in less than 30 minutes. And it was an energetic feeling. It was an ultimate knowing, and it was true loving myself. Like, you couldn't get that in, in on a, on kind of, for me, at least I, there's no, nothing better than that full feeling. And I felt loved and supported and I felt guidance. How else do you explain this type of stuff? Cause it's just like, I don't think there's an else, you know, I think you, I think that feeling that you're feeling, I too have always tapped into, but didn't have any control over it. Mm. Right. And we don't control anything, but I actually, can control waking up in the morning and saying this day's for you, you know, meaning it. Yeah. Just, just knowing. I mean, God, the the recognition in my body when I said that mm. is holy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like this is what I asked for. This is what I was always longing for. This is what I was sad about when I didn't have it. And in my relationship with my husband, because we're doing this together, which is just crazy nuts intimate so much more intimate than sex mm -hmm. or raising a family for 14 years together because rather than turning towards each other looking for the divine which we do in love we're holding hands and we're walking towards the divine together wow yeah that is i mean the image crazy I, yes crazy i didn't know i didn't know that existed yeah. i didn't know that existed i didn't know that's 
that's the level of surrender. It's like floating in my tube on the water with sunshine on my face, feeling the rocking and security of the ocean. That's that. Yeah. And so these practices that I do are because I want to be here as much as I can and not because I'm turning my back on the other places, exactly. but because my practice says, if I can go out there and see God everywhere, you know, that is, I always have, this is actually, have, actually. This is actually who I have always been, yes. but I, I was embarrassed about it. I wasn't ready to wear my t-shirt. Hey, I'm God's girl. You yeah. know, I just, from when I was really little, I just felt like I'm kind of, I'm cool. I'm at this London rave, but inside I was God's girl. And mm -hmm. so for me, I'm just coming home and that's the language that you hear. I'm coming home. I'm remembering who I am. And it's not like I don't get scared, but the more of these moments that you have, mm -hmm. what is there to be scared about? Exactly. And I also think it's like giving, getting to a, layers of depth like this, then making anything like on the outside, when life happens, it's a lot easier for life to happen. It's just like, like, it's just because you, you have faith. <clears throat> this isn't going to devastate and wreck me because nothing has. Mm -hmm. And if it's my time to go, I I'm probably going to come back and work on it some more. That mm -hmm. provides me a whole lot of security that I didn't have. And it's not, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. My mom had, my mom was not part of a family where it was normal to talk about things like past lives. And we mm -hmm. did have so many conversations, but I certainly remember one mm -hmm. of her telling me about she and her sister who were in old West times, mm -hmm. you know, and her parents made her go to a psychologist because they were sure she was crazy. But you know, that deja vu, that feel, that feeling yeah. of like, I've been here. I know yeah. that just remembering. And we're, we're not supposed to remember all of it. Some people do, but it's I just feel like it all makes sense. I just, and I'm, I'm moving into being a sage elder. What does that mean? Well, I'm not a maiden anymore. I'm not a mother, like, mm. and so I just finished taking a class that was called from aging to saging, which is an international class. Oh. But it, because I really, I'm the matriarch. My husband and I are now the elders in our family. My father's still living. He just mm -hmm. hasn't really had the father experience. He's a, more of a grandfather mm -hmm. and a good guy. He lives 10 minutes from here, but I have never been able like, Hey, what should I do here? What I've been doing that for myself forever. Yeah. So my husband and I are, we are the elders in our line. So mm -hmm. that's a huge responsibility and we're in our fifties. And so I'm taking it very seriously because it's very serious and yeah. I want to be, you know, completely whole, well, and solid. And both of us show our kids, this is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. and, and we wish we had this practice, you know, when we were raising them and we're still moving into it. We're not by any means, like we yeah. don't claim to be full on devotees or anything because people would call us that because of how we practice. Mm -hmm. But I'll know when it's time, if it's time for me to declare who, but I kind of know my identity doesn't really matter. These tools are super working for me. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing all of this. Like, I'm just like, my mind is blown. Well, wait till you start doing the daily breath work. And again, no pressure. No, I'm doing it. I'm like committing, like I will be there. And I, I, it's the hyper achiever in me. Like if I say I'm going to do it, like I'm going to do it every day. Like I want to see, because I feel like for me, it's, I, I will get outside of my comfort zone very easily. But then there's certain things that I tend to procrastinate 
And I feel like that was maybe one of them because you told me about this months ago now. And I just was like, this it's now I'm ready. I'm ready for it. And when I'm ready for it, I will get ready. But you know, too, is that you have so many parts of you. Yes. So the part of you, you can call it procrastinate if you don't think that's like a judgment to yourself. Mm-hmm. It could also just there be a small part of you that's afraid of something or a part of you that, you know, wants to do, wants to play during that time or a part of you that wants to paint or cook. It, like it's making peace with all of our parts, the ones that we judge, the one that was grieving for me so hard that she couldn't get up and offering her love and compassion. And rather than being like, get up. Cause I, I don't really have so much have a voice in my head that doesn't say nice things, but because my will is so strong, yeah. you know, my gratitude practice 15 years ago really shifted things. And just recently I started seeing because I was so grateful, I almost thought I, I, I didn't allow myself to feel badly about things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't want to bypass my own self because I'm grateful. I can be super grateful for every gift I have. Yeah. And still it's okay to be sad and have sorrow and grieve and, and not judge that. And just, just to establish through meditation and these other practices that everybody's welcome here. You're all welcome in my kingdom and my queendom, but I am the queen. And mm-hmm. I will be making the calls, but you're all loved and thank you for your input rather than othering parts of ourselves. Because as much as we other ourselves, yeah. that's what keeps us from being able to connect with others as well. That deep compassion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you can figure out what was that part. And this is eternal family systems. This is a, a, a body of work. David Schwartz developed okay. eternal family systems systems therapy. It's not something I learned in school, but it's been very helpful to me recently because identifying when I told you I was emotionally like 14, at 14, I decided I really needed to take care of the super hurt baby in my own self. That's Mm -hmm. some business I didn't know about. Exactly. Well, also, how do you find like the thing that I'm curious about in all of this is like, I'm not that angry of a person, right? Like, but have I bottled into, like, I think it's more now the curiosity of what's still underneath and not knowing how to discover that. Like, I do know techniques. Like, so then I'm like, well, maybe it will surface if it needs to surface, if it exists. What do you think about that with your own experience of like? The internal family systems to me, that is the thing, because it, this is a, a modality I didn't know and you can't do it by yourself. Mm. You have to have someone who, you know, a therapist helped me okay. to, to think about, I read the books, I read the David Schwartz books, the, the parts therapy books, but when someone's holding it for you, that's how I discovered that I have this 14 year old that's caring for this hurt self. I came to her saying, you know, I told my husband that maybe we should separate. I mean, I was just being ridiculous in an argument. Yeah. But what was happening is that my teenage being is willing to throw a Molotov cocktail into anything, including my marriage, to keep this part of me what in what it knows. And what that what it knew was alone and scared and kind of in a deep, dark hole. But that felt safer than shaking that up. And Mm -hmm. that's what our ego does. So my my teenage self inside is protecting that little baby. It's, and it's like, they didn't know I was here. And I'm like, Hey guys, you as in Kelly, me, me. no, Mm -hmm. me, I've got this teenager in me and this protecting this baby in me. I'm like, guys, look around at the world. I've built, I'm a mother. 
mm-hmm. you all are welcome, but I'm going to decide what we do. And so in my pranayama practice, not really knowing what to do once I discovered that other than like, whoa, hey guys, know about me. I'm really good at this <laughs> and realizing that I want to be more mature and that I'm capable of feeling the sorrow that that part of me felt. Mm-hmm. I could invite those parts of me to my pranayama every morning. And I do. I say, I'm doing this for us. You know, first I say this day's for you to spirit. And then I say, um, you know, 14 year old self, baby self, come and practice with me, come and sit with me. You don't have to participate, but you could come sit on my lap. And just doing that for a month or so, I just, those parts, I just feel integrated. Yes, because it's like love, acceptance. And it's just so fascinating. And thanking them. Mm -hmm. That 14 year old has been running my entire life. Wow. I didn't even know I was so immature because I'm so, I'm capable. I'm so capable, but emotionally the way Mm -hmm. I was driving, it's like 14. So now I've discovered, I'm about 16 now. I told my husband, I'm like, I'm like 16 now. That's good. You got the driver's license. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I didn't get my driver's license. I was 17. So I'm not ready to drive. Not ready to drive yet. Before we wrap up two questions. What has parenting now taught you just like about yourself? That I'm good. Mm. That I'm good. That I, I'm just, I try so hard and I don't need to, I can really relax into the floating of, we did that. We raised five children mm. and they're good, solid people. One, you know, one has mental illness mm-hmm. and he's as good as solid as he can be extreme mm. mental illness. But it just, I just feel like, oh, thank you so much. Because you you don't know when you're doing the things if you're doing the right thing. Mm. You don't know when your former spouse is being difficult, if you should keep bending like a reed because mm. it's the right thing to do for the children. You just put them there, yeah. they're, they're first and they're not first. So what my kids would say, like, what's your hobby? Me, I'm my hobby. I like to swear. I like to do inappropriate things, but when I'm a mother, like I do the things that I should be doing yeah, to be yeah. a good mother in my own mind. But you want to teach your children to be the center of their universe. And as a woman, we don't get that message. I don't want my I don't want to orbit my children because they're they're not the center of my universe. I am the center of my universe. So that they can feel comfortable being satellites with moons and whatever, but they find their own center. I love that because we don't want to give them the message that they are not enough, mm-hmm. that they are not, they are not, they are not enough, or they are too little, or they are too much. Mm. So parenting for me is, I'm, I'm right, I'm good. Yeah, I show up, I give it everything I have, and I continuously heal so that I can be a demonstration of them. And I'm, I'm pretty freaking whole, you know. Yeah. Of what whole is. You're so whole. I mean, I know you're like, well, to me, you're you're like wholeness. I am um, whole. I am you whole. Are all whole. Yeah, I, I was just gonna say that. I was like, well, actually, we all are whole. It's just discovering those aspects of the wholeness. And everything that has harmed us, the, the anger, the things yeah. that the grief, the things that we, you know, need to move through, heal from. In fact, what I'm really learning is that nothing is ever harmed. Because I'm not my body, mm. not my mind. Mm. I'm 
a timeless, eternal spirit soul. Yeah. And I'm so grateful to be in this package to rem- to learn the lessons so that I can remember that that is in fact who I am. Yes. Oh. And that's what I want my children to know. And they do know they're divine. They would tell you that. But I want them to know it. That deep knowing. Yes. Last question. Because this podcast is really like encompassing so much. And at first it was like, oh, you know, obviously wanting to talk about money because that's like a big thing from women and for- And you're so good at it. And for moms, well, thank you. And, but I think I've, I've redefined what wealth is like for myself. And I'm curious, like as we end this, like how do you define wealth? Freedom is the most important. All the things that I've been telling you, I was able to do, like obviously- most of that time I had some means to do it with mm-hmm. other than being a single mom with three kids on food stamps and Medicaid. It didn't last very long. Yeah. Right. Because I was a social worker. Mm-hmm. I needed support for a minute and then I could step out of that. And I, I just knowing that this, they're so connected because your relationship with money is your security is your foundation is your root chakra is how secure you feel in the world. And when I come to think of it, I very rarely worried about money, even though I've been on my own financially since I was 18. I could, it always, if I did the exact numbers of budgeting, it didn't always work. Mm-hmm. If I let go of that and, and recognize that I've always been cared for, I always will be cared for. And I didn't take for granted getting an education and I didn't owe money from my, my education. And I paid off my student loans in a year for my yeah. graduate education. So, but I think it is a mentality around, do you feel, have, do you have agency in the world? Are you confident? None of these things, and you're so good, helpful at reminding me, none of these things are rocket science. I do not have to develop the formula for a rocket to get to the moon. Compounding interest, saving 20%, buy a place to live, spend less than you make. These things are not hard. And when you're not filling deficits, when you feel whole or you feel like you know what wholeness is and it's not the latest coach bag, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, I don't care about those things. I just, I never have cared about those things. Yeah. Yeah. So what I care about is freedom. I want to do what I want to do. I haven't liked ever showing up at the same place every day. I don't want to do the same thing every day. I want to solve problems and be engaged and put my life force two places that are now pleasure and joy Yeah, because I'm always going to serve. Like that's part of who I am. That's my practice. But recognizing that from my continued and complete healing, joy and pleasure have to be focused on, not just ancillary to the other things that you do. Cause I've always had joy and pleasure, mm-hmm. but I was never like, you know, I am aiming for joy and pleasure <laughs> and I'm aiming for joy and pleasure because I have chronic, I have chronic pain. That's just mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. And I turn to the pain and I say, thank you for reminding me what exquisite and concentrated care I need and mm-hmm. deserve. Yes. So yes. that my money, I don't exactly know where my next, you know, really big flow of money is coming from, but I just had one that came and I had one that came about a year and a half ago. Yeah. I just feel very comfortable saying thank you. And I make I make good decisions. I don't make ridiculous decisions. Well, because it took me some time, like as I started doing the research for the personal finance book. And then I talked to my mom about money, you know, cause she was like on food stamp, single mom. And I kept asking her these questions. And then she had the exact same answer 
as you. She's like, I just had faith. Like I just knew she's like, I never went into debt. Like I never lived over my means. Like, and I just knew it was going to work out. And I was like, wow. And I think that that, and she's spiritual and it goes to believing that there's more and that you're more supported to, to me. That's, I mean, that's like the hypothesis, right? Because I just, cause I'm like, there's something more than just the technical in being able to have this Absolutely. monetary wealth. And what you think you deserve, the life you think you deserve is the life you will have. And to those mamas out there that are struggling, uh, it doesn't mean in this exact moment. It just means spend as much time seeing yourself with all your needs met, with your children happy, feeling that feeling of all being well. Mm-hmm. Spend as much time there as you do pinching your pennies and writing it down because you have to, you won't bring an expansive sense of safety to yourself, worrying constantly. And I know what it feels like to be sweaty checking out because I don't think I can afford whatever it is on the checkout. That is a horrible feeling. And you don't bring wealth to yourself that way. So how can you, in your imagination and your movements and whatever you're doing, bring expansion and security and say, thank you. Even now, I mean, when things were very hard, that's where my gratitude practice started. And I said, Really? You think I can handle this? Okay. Okay. I must be turning into someone amazing if that's what is happening here. And that's Bernard Beckwith's work, you know, Michael Bernard Beckwith and Tara Brock and listening to people who can inspire you and being around people because association is everything. And worrying about what other people think, screw that. Worry about how you feel, mind your business and always serve even if you're struggling because- Mm -hmm. I always had something to give, even if I had very little. It's that power of knowing. If you yeah. look around, you know you're doing better than some people. Yes, yes, and exactly. All- like if anyone's listening to this, they have enough time and that's space right. to, to listen. You are safe. That's right. And if all you can do is give someone your undivided attention, mm-hmm. eye contact, you know, spread love in every engagement mm-hmm. because you can. Yeah. It's it feels free. so good though too. And it free. feels so good. Like for me, like just to connect with somebody that even like, if I see that they're like struggling, I'm walking down the street and just like to give them love. Like it makes me f- like, it's like, you know, you don't do just that. like, it's altruistic. Is it though? Because I feel so good. I felt called to do it, but it made them happy. It made me happy. It's just like, and that's my aim right now. My goal. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, I'm whole ish. My goal is to live with my heart wide open, feeling all of it and never closing it because it gets hard. Yes. And when I'm there, I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I've been around those people and I know what that feels like. And I, my best friends all have aspects of that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it inspires me so much. So I'll know when I'm brave enough to have my heart just open every day because I'm strong enough to feel all the things. And those of us who can do that, because you have a grounding practice, because you're lucky, because you have security, because you have food, those of us who can do it, we have to do it because folks are really struggling. And we need examples of what it looks like to have your heart open and your eyes open and move through the world with courage and love and compassion for when we don't do it, because sometimes we don't do it. Exactly. Before we wrap up, I have to tell you, because here there's all this like big spiritual community. I never knew about cacao ceremonies 
that like cacao opens up your heart. I've never been to a cacao ceremony, but I started having cacao, like just the pure cacao. And I was like, wow, I actually feel like, cause that's the work that I've been doing. I think over the last, like, what we're almost in June, like seven months is like really opening up my heart. Like, even as I talk to you, I feel it opening, but that's a very vulnerable thing for it me. Or maybe, maybe many, many people. No, know. for everybody. And you're so, it's phenomenal that you can do that with a two-year-old. Like I don't even have personal ambitions till my kids are four. Because I just don't have the capacity to do anything other than them and try to keep myself sane, you know, yeah. exercise, eat right. I do the best I can, but I don't have in, real independent. Okay. It's me again. Yeah. So it's amazing that you're there. I feel so grateful because we have no support, but she gets to go to school. And like, that is the time that I get to do this. And I realized just for my own business and for my own self, like this is making me a better entrepreneur. This is making me a better human, a happier, like everything that I want in life. So yeah, it's weird because today was a day where I probably looked at my laptop two and a half hours. Things still got done. You know, somebody I'm like, but that's the day. That's the work day we like. Yes, exactly. I got to focus and do the things that literally will propel who I am. Exactly. Where I want to go. Exactly. Yeah. Kelly, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I am so excited just to hear about your journey. And I'm so excited to see when, when we get on at seven, at seven in the morning here, it's probably one. Is it one in the afternoon for you? It's two. I'm going to put it in my calendar. So I look kind of like this because it's yeah. really early in the morning, <laughs> but I can't wait to see you. No, I can't wait to see you either before we wrap up. Cause I will probably edit a little bit out of the end. How do you want people to find you? I gave you all my social stuff. Okay, so all LinkedIn that. stuff. Okay. Yeah. It's business. It's not personal, but LinkedIn yeah. is me. Absolutely. Okay. Just, okay. yeah, folks can find me. Excellent. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I'm so, so happy that we are connected and part of a community that are really focused on building true freedom in our business and in our life. So if you love this, if you liked it, if you found some value in it, please make sure that you like it and you subscribe to the podcast. If you're feeling extra, extra grateful, share it with a friend, anyone who might have needed this. The more people that we can help collectively, the better we're all going to be. Until next week, have a beautiful, lovely, happy, and fulfilled week.